Today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. As we've been making our way through the book of Matthew, we now officially come to the end of this section of Matthew. We've been approaching it for a while, almost like climbing a mountain, and we see we're getting there, and it's okay, Jesus is saying this, he's about to end. He's saying this, he's about to end. Well, now we are at the very last words of Jesus in this major section of Matthew. And over the last couple weeks, if you've been here with us, you've heard Jesus increasingly calling us to examine our lives, to see if we really are part of the kingdom of God or not. We've been told to see, are you really living on the narrow path? Or are you just fooling yourself? We've been told by Jesus that many will think they're going to enter the kingdom, and they will instead hear the most dreaded words in history. Depart from me, I never knew you. So Jesus has been giving us some really strong exhortations, very bold, very needed, and today he tells us what will happen if we build our life on his words and his kingdom, and what will happen if we don't? The question for us today is, do you really think the life of Jesus works? Does it really work? Does Jesus really deliver on his promise? If you commit your life to Jesus and to his people, will it really bring a life of joy? Do you really believe Jesus with what he is saying? Do you trust him? that this path he's calling you to is actually the path where real life is found. So again, we're coming back to this question of belief. See, we're all regularly faced with disappointment. We're all regularly faced with things that don't deliver, things that disappoint, the false advertising that we always see, both in serious ways, grave ways, but even somewhat comical ways in the everyday stuff of life. I encountered what you could call false advertising just a couple weeks ago as my dad and I attempted to build an Ikea dresser. <laughs> Thank you. Me and Jan are expecting our first baby. We're super excited. And so being, you know, the ambitious new dad mode that I'm in now, I thought, let's just get a dresser. And so in my mind, Ikea has sold themselves on the idea that their stuff is simple, it's basic, beautiful, it's easy to put together. Essentially, no lie, their furniture, their products will make Nate and Jana's life really easy. And so I was like, okay, babe, we're doing Ikea. I went to Ikea. We walked around. We rounded the corner. There it is. There's the dresser. I looked at the price tag, which was not cheap, but I thought of all the benefits Ikea is going to bring me. So I spent the money, thought this will work. This will be worth it. I believe Ikea. Friends, it has not been worth it. <laughs> Four hours into building this dresser, my dad and I are still not finished with it. I got my dad to help me. And I know, a lot of you know me, I am not a handyman. I make zero claims to be that. But my dad is a stud. My dad could probably beat up your dad. It has taken my dad four hours to basically build a frame with no drawers. We're still not done. <laughs> Ikea has not delivered. And now I have major doubts about what I had previously thought about Ikea. Maybe I had unrealistic expectations. Maybe I had heard false things about Ikea, but they didn't deliver. 
And in a much more drastic and serious way, Jesus is saying, is the life I'm calling you to going to deliver? Are the promises I'm laying out for you really going to be worth it? Jesus isn't asking us if we understand his theology. Jesus isn't asking us, do you understand my teaching? He's saying, what's going to work in your life? Will life in my kingdom add up? Or do you need a different foundation? Jesus today is going to provide us a true foundation that we can bank our lives on. But how do we know what we're building? Well, to show us this, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with his very first parable in the book of Matthew. The very first parable in the book of Matthew ends with Jesus putting a choice in front of us. So let's look at this passage. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You can read along in your Bible, but I'll also have it up on the screen. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like, he tells a story, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Jesus, as we jump into this section, we ask for your help. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would do what he does best of helping us search our hearts and to see Jesus. Jesus, I pray for those here this morning who maybe feel far from you, Jesus, would you show them yourself? Would you call each of us back to you? Jesus, for those who are weary, even under the strain of the holidays already, would you call us to see again the true foundation that will deliver? Jesus, for those of us who do feel we are already on a solid foundation of your life and your kingdom, would you give us not a uh, a road of ease that we can just check out, but would you help us to examine our hearts so that we could be more faithful disciples and so that we could show the world your kingdom. So Jesus, we ask for your help. Thank you that we can ask this in confidence because as we stand behind your word, you, we know you will meet us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said a minute ago, Jesus is asking us, what do you think will work? What will you build your life on? My words or some other foundation. If, if we get the text back up there for a second. If you look at even the structure of the text, how it's broken down, you have two settings, two almost identical stories up there of someone building their house, but on different foundations. One representing, here's what doing the words of Jesus is like, and here's what only hearing the words of Jesus will be like. So we have these themes going on. Maybe you've heard this passage before. It's a pretty popular passage. We have these themes of doing the words of Jesus, building on the rock, the floods and the storms coming, being a doer, not just being a hearer. All these different themes are circling around in this passage. So this morning, I want to suggest examine three questions. What is the rock? 
What is a hearer only? And what are the storms? What is the rock? What is a hearer only? And what are the storms? So let's start by asking, what is the rock? And I want us to remember that as we here at Redemption try to teach you guys the Bible, we don't want you to only learn from us. We want you guys to be able to go and read your Bibles on your own, to know how to study your Bibles on your own. But that means that we have to teach all of us how to be good interpreters of the Bible. So before you read and say, what is the rock? Well, what does the rock mean to me? What does that mean to me? That's the wrong first question. One of the most important questions you could ask in reading your Bible is what did this mean to them? What did the rock mean to the original hearers? In uh, fancy schmancy biblical theology language, this is called hermeneutics, interpretation. How do we interpret the Bible? Well, we discover what the text of the Bible means for us by discovering what it means for the original hearers, which, in case you didn't know, I want to add a great plug here, for that's why commentaries are really valuable. That's why getting good theology books really matters. That's why it's really good for you to build time into your schedule to study your Bible and to study books about the Bible so that you can learn better how to ask, what did this mean for them? Because then I can determine what this means for me. So when Jesus says, the rock, what is he talking about? Well, most of us would probably think, well, it's a simple matter of architecture, right? I mean, you don't want to build on like mud or sand, right? You want to build on something strong. Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. But I think Jesus has something much more in mind than just rock being strong. Notice what types of people does Jesus describe? There's the wise man, and who else? Foolish man. Wise and foolish. Wise builds on rock. Foolish builds on sand. We have to realize that Jesus is not just throwing out these terms, wise man, foolish man. No, Jesus is himself taking on very intentional words, hearkening his hearers back to another category of wise and foolish. Wise man, Versus foolish man. Jesus is here directing his listeners, and Matthew's directing us back to the Old Testament, back to the wisdom literature, back specifically to the book of what that talks about wise and fool? Proverbs. Jesus is pointing us back to the book of Proverbs, which is full of talking about the wise man versus the foolish man. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the people of God were always talking about how to live a life of wisdom means you follow God in these specific ways. And here Jesus is picking up that imagery and he's talking about what wisdom looks like and what the fool looks like. Here's three examples from Proverbs that pretty much show beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was talking about wisdom in these ways. I'm going to put this up on there. So on the left, you see a couple different Proverbs, and on the right is our text of Matthew. And so remember what we just read about, wise man, foolish man, building, storms. What does that look like? Listen to the Proverbs. Proverbs 10.25, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Proverbs 12.7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Proverbs 14, 11, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. It would seem pretty apparent 
based on these texts and many others, that Jesus is clearly alluding to the wisdom of the Old Testament in Proverbs. But what is Jesus doing? Is he just saying, hey, see, look at me. I know the Bible. I'm going to point back to that. No, Jesus is showing that now in him is wisdom embodied. To now truly be the wise man is to be found in Jesus. Through building your life on Jesus, on Jesus who is the rock. Jesus is saying the Old Testament talked about how your life will endure through the storms if you trust in God and follow his way. And now I'm saying to you, that is realized when you put your trust and your allegiance in me. What the Old Testament writers were pointing to, Jesus now takes up this theme and says, in my words, is true wisdom. What the Old Testament was alluding to with pointing to trust in God, now you see what really trusting God looks like. That means being a follower of Jesus. Wisdom looks like following Jesus. Think about this. The wisest thing you could ever do in your life, literally, I'm going to tell you this right now for free, because everyone else wants to tell you what wisdom looks like. The wisest thing you could do is follow Jesus. The wisest thing you could ever do in your life is follow Jesus. So this would certainly be one element of what this rock is. Remember, we're asking, what did the original hearers think the rock went? When Jesus is talking about wisdom versus folly. So in one sense, the rock is talking about building on the wisdom that the Old Testament was pointing to now in Jesus. But also, the rock isn't just about that. The original hearers would have heard Jesus say, Build your life on the rock. And they would have thought, wait a minute. There's something else that's built on the rock. And it's actually about 100 miles away in Jerusalem. Do you know what in Jerusalem was built on the rock? The temple. The temple was built on the rock. I think we got, yeah. There's a, a picture of what they believe the old, uh, this is the second temple after the first one was destroyed. And so at the time, I was reading this commentator his name's N.T. Wright. He's amazing. He talked about, as Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount on this hill, about 100 miles away, this temple was being rebuilt. And the temple was known as being built on the rock. The temple, if you're not really familiar with, for the people of God in the Old Testament, the temple was like ground zero. Life makes sense at the temple. The temple is where God's domain and man's domain Met. So you can't, we can't even comprehend how important the temple was for these people. When you sinned and you had to make atonement and you knew, I've messed up. I am not right with God and right with people. You would go there and make sacrifice. If you wanted to go and offer prayers, you would go to the temple. If you wanted to go and learn about what did it look like to follow God, you went to the temple. The temple was ground zero for the Jewish people. And they believed that the temple was built on solid rock and that it would withstand all time. The temple, not even just on a theological level, but imagine being a Jewish person. The temple represented your stability in life. The temple represented permanence in life. The temple is where their life made sense. So in light of that understanding of the temple as the rock, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying a day is coming when the dwelling place of God and man is no longer going to be on that rock. Because where's the new temple? Well, in one sense, Jesus himself 
is the true meeting place of God and man. But then where are the New Testament writers going to tell us the temple is? We're the temple. The temple fills us. The temple goes where God's people go, where the Spirit goes. So Jesus is saying, in me and my words now is the true place where God and man meet. So in one sense, this would have rocked their world. Because then if you think about it, if you skip ahead in Matthew, if we were to jump, what we'll get to in maybe like 15 years in Matthew 16, it's a joke, we'll get there before then, we see Jesus expand this to not just include his words, but Jesus says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. So what is Jesus saying here? Building your life on the rock means building your life on the people of Jesus, on his church. So true wisdom, being one who builds your life on the rock, means you build your life on Jesus and on the community that believes in him. The original hearers, as we've already seen, they would have been really confused about this. They thought the rock... Building your life on the rock meant, well, you just got to obey the law. Keep the temple central. And if you think about it, don't many of us maybe do the same thing? Don't we often think, well, if I just read my Bible a little bit, if I just go to a church service every once in a while, if I just don't sin too badly, then I'm building my life on the rock too, right? But no, we see that is to greatly misunderstand the call of Jesus. To build your life on Jesus means to increasingly see all things in your life, your job, your relationships, your future, your money, your aspirations, your desires, all things now are to be viewed in light of Jesus and his kingdom. And so, what is the rock? It's the wisdom of living in Jesus. It's seeing that Jesus himself is the place where God and man meet. But that means, okay, well, if that's the rock, what does it mean to be a hearer only? Who is the type of person who merely hears these words of Jesus but does not do them? We need to answer this second question. What does it mean to be a hearer only? Jesus tells us that someone who is a hearer only is a fool. And in many ways, if you've been asleep for the last couple minutes that I've been talking, I would like you to wake up here because this is the most important piece of this whole passage. The most important thing we could look at today is this question of what does it mean to be a hearer only? Because if I were to say, okay, show of hands, who here thinks you're a hearer only? Who here thinks you're the fool in this passage? No one's going to raise their hand. Well, maybe someone. Maybe, maybe you're the most honest. Similar to remember when Scott preached a couple weeks ago and said, who here thinks when Jesus' judgment is coming, who thinks you're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you? Not, none of us. We all think, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm righteous. I'm in Jesus, right? I'm, I'm more than a hearer. I mean, I, you know, I do some good stuff. I'm not a hearer only, right? Friends, we have to examine, what does this mean to be a hearer only? What does this mean to be the foolish one? who builds his life on the sand. Well, I think first off, we have to realize that a hearer only isn't someone who rejects Jesus' words. A hearer only enjoys Jesus' words. Think about that. But what do they do with them? Nothing. 
A hearer only is someone who says, Jesus, your words are just so nice. I really love listening to them. I love reading them. I love hearing really good preachers. Jesus, I have a ton of podcasts I listen to. And all of my favorite preachers are like the really good guys, like not just reformed, but like missional reformed guys, you know? Like those are the guys I listen to. But friends, enjoying and listening is one thing. Doing is something different. Enjoying Jesus' words is not the same as doing them. Friends, if that is all you do with the words of Jesus and you are a mere accumulator of the words of Jesus, you might want to consider, am I just being a hearer only? Jesus isn't calling us to just enjoy his words, but to obey them. But we often think, maybe you're even seeing this in yourself, that, well, if I enjoy them, that must be the same as doing them. We often think that, well, I showed up on time for the preaching on Sunday. So that's what Jesus is talking about, right? I'm not just hearing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing something, right? No, I don't want us to be confused or deceived. It's good to enjoy the words of Jesus. I hope you do enjoy listening to good preaching. I hope you do have podcasts, even of the Reformed Missional guys. That's great. But we're called to way more than to be just listeners. Let's consider these questions to examine in our own lives. Are we just hearers or are we doers? Where in your life right now, if this is describing you, where are you taking all that you're hearing about Jesus and where are you sharing that with other people? Where in your life right now are you aware of an area of obedience that Jesus is calling you towards, but you just aren't doing it? You might be a mere hearer in that area. Where are you hearing Jesus' clear call to obey him? Maybe it relates to sin, money, your time. But where are you not doing it? A second area that we can ask ourselves if we're a mere hearer or a doer is by asking, am I only trying to position myself to hear the word? Or am I actually trying to position my life to do the world? The word. I want us to think about this idea of what you're doing with your life, with your time. You see, we often position ourselves to hear the word, and that's really good. But that's very different than positioning your life to do the word. How are you positioning things in your life, like your schedule, your money, your possessions, to not only be within hearing range of Jesus' words, which would include things like preaching, reading, coming on a Sunday gathering, MC Life, Bible studies, those are all really good things. But how are you positioning your life to do the word? You see, arranging your life to hear Jesus' words is really good. Think about this. Listening to the Bible, studying it, being with your MC, hearing preaching. But couldn't you do all those things and still just be a hearer? You could be doing all those things and still just be a hearer. So how... To avoid that, think about this. How could you arrange your life so that you could make time to actually obey Jesus? How could you arrange your life so that you could make time to be with people who know Jesus? How could you arrange your life so that you could intentionally, on purpose, go be with people who don't know Jesus? How could you intentionally arrange your life so that you could make time to serve people? 
with the love of Jesus. You see, I know right now we could all endlessly list out the ways that we are too busy. And the reality is you probably are. That we're too busy, too tired to go out and see our MC, too busy with the kids to find a sitter, too exhausted from running around during the holidays. But friends, Jesus is not calling us to be exhausted. He is calling us to obey him, which means we can let certain things go. What things in your life right now are keeping you from being able to be with Jesus or be with his people? What things in your life right now, with your schedule, with your time, with probably really good commitments, but maybe too many of them, what things are keeping you from being intentional with relationships with people who don't know Jesus? See, these are the very things that probably are keeping you from being a doer. As it relates to our life here at Redemption, corporately, and your involvement in it, are you just a mere hearer here? Or are you jumping in? to life here? Where are you refusing to jump into life with people? Where are you saying, it's okay if I only do what I'm comfortable with? It's okay if I only do what I think is easy for me? Where here at Redemption, as a hearer, are you just sitting on the sidelines and not jumping into life with the people of Jesus here? You see, what often happens is that we could distinguish between our personal life with Jesus and then our communal life with the people of Jesus and say, okay, well, yeah, I'm doing good here. Maybe not so good over here, friends. Jesus doesn't see them as different. To be with Jesus is to be with his people. To be one who does the will of Jesus is to be one who lives in community with the people of Jesus. There's no other alternative to following Jesus. To follow Jesus means you do life with the people of Jesus. And as I was even asking the Spirit this week, this was something that I really, I wrestled with a lot of things related to this sermon. But I just, one day I actually just went and was walking around in the parking lot. And I was like, Jesus, what's the tone here? What's your tone here? Is it exhortation? Is it caution? Is it comfort? Is it intensity? And I feel like this tone of examination is really what Jesus is calling us to here. That's why we're asking a lot of these tough questions. But why? Why do we want to ask ourselves tough questions? Why do you even, maybe you are a follower of Jesus. You're thinking, man, like, you're kind of sending us through the ringer here. And maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus, and you're like, wow, these are like some pretty intense questions. Who are you to be asking me that? Which I would remind you, I'm not asking you that. This is what the Bible is asking you. Why do we want to examine ourselves? Yes, because we want to be those who don't hear depart from me. Yes, because we are people who love Jesus and we want to be with him in heaven and in the new creation. Yes, we want to be those who build our life on the foundation, but friends, we want to build our life on Jesus because the storms are coming. The storms are coming. And for some of you, they might already be here. The storms are coming, but what are these storms that Jesus is referring to? Let's go to this last question. What are the storms Jesus is referring to? Well, upon a quick glance, and maybe you're familiar with this passage and you need to read it, you would think, well, the storms are trouble in this life, right? Trials, tribulations, suffering that comes at us. I think the storms would certainly refer to that. Things that cause us to doubt God, to really question if he's good. And that certainly would be true. But in another sense, 
what has Jesus been talking about all along? He's talking about, in the scope of our lives, where are we going? Are we on the narrow path or on the straight path? Are we someone who's bearing fruit or not bearing fruit? I think at the end of the day, the storm that Jesus is referring to is the storm of judgment. In the end time, when Jesus comes back to discern who really has been following me and who merely has maybe just been rejecting me or just giving me lip service. Oh, I'm a Christian, but yet you don't do anything with following Jesus. For the biblical writers, as they talked about the great storms of judgment, it wasn't always just modern day trials. It was the end time when God would determine who was righteous, who was unrighteous. So the storms referring to the end time. And when that comes, what is your foundation built on? Will your foundation be built upon the rock of Jesus? Or will your foundation be built on something else? Well, how do you know? How do we know what we are building our life on? How do we know if we will endure the future storm of judgment? Well, friends, you know by looking at your current storms by looking at your current trials, by asking, is the suffering in my life right now causing me to fall on the foundation of Jesus? Or is it revealing that I have another foundation? Because if you think about it, out of the two men in the story, the two groups of people, who did the storm hit? Both. The same storm. I mean, can we put the text up there one more time? The exact same wording is used for both. Rain fell, floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house. It's literally, Matthew took the time to show the exact same thing happened to both guys. So what did the storm do? It revealed the foundation. The storm revealed the foundation that they had built their life on. And we see the same thing in our life. When the storms of life come, They reveal what our foundation is. When suffering comes your way, when unexpected financial hardship comes your way, when Jesus makes it clear, I'm calling you to go into this painful season that maybe you don't want to go into, what is that revealing about your foundation? What are you putting your life into that is building the foundation of your life? What are you investing your time, money, talents, treasures into right now? As I already mentioned, for some of you, maybe you're already in a storm. Maybe you're already in a really, really tough season. Maybe you are already in a hard, dark, dangerous, fearful storm. The floods coming and the rain beating against the house of your life. Maybe it's related to your health or your body. Maybe it's related to your kids. Maybe spiritually you just feel, I'm in a storm. I'm in a dark place right now. Maybe it relates to your mental health. Maybe it relates to anxiety or depression or fear or some kind of trauma. Maybe relationally. I was just sharing with Jan about this the other day. Relationally, I think a lot just due to 2020, COVID, all kinds of things. Just feel relationally my life is in a storm. I want to be clear on what I mean when I ask this question, what is this revealing? I'm not asking you how strong do you feel in this season? I'm not asking you, are you seeing and is it revealing how strong you actually are? No, I'm not asking that at all. I'm asking you, is this season showing you what you're falling back on? Is this season driving you to see how strong your foundation actually is? 
which you can realize whether you feel it or not, by the way. You see, storms and trials certainly make us grow, but not because we in and of ourselves are strong. I want to be really clear on that. We grow when we realize and come to believe more and more how strong Jesus actually is. This is much less about us. Oh, I've gone through all this suffering. Look how strong I am. No, I've gone through suffering. Look how amazing Jesus is. He kept me in that storm. My house felt like it was going to fall over, but it was on the rock. So it endured through the storm. That's very different than saying, oh, see, I've gone through a lot of suffering. I'm really strong. No. That is not at all what we're talking about here. When we increasingly come to believe that Jesus is our foundation, that he alone is our security, our standing, our justification for life, we will be able to endure storms. Not because we are so strong, but because we know how strong the object of our faith actually is. If you, again, it's just, it was, this is one of those things that I didn't really have a lot of time to flesh out in my sermon, but you think about the reality of our justification by faith, that we are declared not guilty in the sight of God. That verdict comes in the judgment when God will declare, you are not guilty. You now live forever with me in the new creation. For those who have their faith in Jesus, we experience that right now. That's the foundation of our life. So when you go through storms and trials right now, I don't really care if you feel strong. I mean, I say that with nuance. I want you to realize how strong Jesus is because of your justification in him. Because the future has been brought into the present, you can know life really sucks. This trial feels like it's going to crush me, but my foundation is so strong. What storm could come at me? Because you know the future judgment has been taken care of, you now can endure the storm in the present day. Think about this, friends. If you this morning are in suffering and you are in Jesus, the great and final storm has already passed over you because Jesus already endured that for you. And now no storm, no flood can break your foundation. Friends, you, you got to hear me this morning. If you are in Jesus today, I don't know what your storm is, but nothing can touch you apart from him. Not a hair of your head can fall without him knowing it. And if you are not in Jesus this morning, I want you to hear Jesus calling you to examine your life and say, what is the foundation I'm building my life on? You see, this text is driving us to ask what we're building our life on, what we're building our life around and upon. But we have to see that that means building it onto the community of Jesus and not just on some isolated idea of what we think Jesus means. So for some of us this morning, we need to hear the word of exhortation. We need to hear the word that says, what foundation are you building your life on? But for others of us, I think the call here is to realize that if your life is built on Jesus, then you have a call to endurance here. You have a call from Jesus himself to read that little description of the man who built his life on the rock and know, Jesus, the rock is you. And I feel like that guy with the rain beating against my house. Help me to believe more and more that this foundation is secure. 
you have a call to increasingly fall back on your foundation, which again, isn't the quality of your faith. It's not how strong your faith might feel right now. It's what is your faith in. Does that make sense? The quality of our faith, how strong our faith can feel at any given moment, that can wax and wane like feelings and emotions in the season. What's the object of your faith, though? Are you putting that in Jesus or in something else? So as we go to conclude now, remember how we started by asking, hearing Jesus ask us, do you really believe this life will work? Do you really believe that this life I'm calling to will actually lead you to joy? Will you know based on what you're building on? As we land this section of the sermon series, and even as we go, to, we're going to take a little bit of a break from Matthew right now. I want us to see that Jesus so far is increasingly asking us, do you believe me? Do you see the way I'm calling you to as the way of true wisdom, true life? And I think for us as Redemption Church corporately, if I can just talk about redemption for just a second, I think we need to be a church that increasingly is falling back and repenting of other foundations we've laid on other foundations that we maybe have built on and realizing that our church is going to be built not on our methods, not on our strategies, not on how tight we think our theology might be, but our church needs to fall back again and again on the foundation of Jesus, both individually and corporately for us as a whole. So the band can come up now and we're going to sing some songs in conclusion and I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that your word is perfect, that your word is complete. And this morning, because your spirit is at work, each of us have been searched and examined by your word. Jesus, I pray for those who maybe are detecting that maybe their life isn't really built on the foundation of Jesus. Jesus, would you show them how willing and longing and eager you are for them to trust in you, for them to turn their life, to repent and to see that salvation is truly found in Jesus. I pray for those in that place, Jesus, that you would do that. I pray for those who maybe already have put their faith in you, but they see a lot of other foundations that they've built on. Jesus, would you help those people to see once again a chance to repent and believe again in Jesus? And Jesus, I pray for our friends here today, or for those watching online, for those who couldn't be with us today, who are in the storm. Jesus, would you show them how faithful you are in the storm? Would you show them, Jesus, that you are that good, strong rock? Jesus, I even pray that you would direct them to see the abundance of evidence in the scriptures that talk about the foundation of the rock is strong and that it will endure. Jesus, thank you that you yourself endured the great storm so that now we can know in any lesser storm you call us to walk through that you will be faithful. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.